Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome my guest today, Jason Rowe. Hey Jason, how are you? I'm doing great, how are you doing? I'm awesome. Actually, I'm so sorry. It's Dr. Jason Rowe. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, well, Dr. Jason, I'm extremely excited that you're here today um, for many reasons. Okay, for many reasons. Yeah. First, um, just a little bit of embarrassment for you, I guess. No, it's not embarrassing. <laughs> it's not embarrassing. I just want everyone to know that I've known Jason since he was like in elementary school. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Been a long time. And yeah. it is crazy. It's crazy like that I'm sitting with you here today to hear about your life mm-hmm. and um, what you do now. So... Without further ado, Jason, what do you do? Yeah, so I'm an optometrist, which is a primary eye care provider. Uh, my main role, is, it kind of varies quite a bit, actually. And even within among optometry itself, there's a vast role that you can play. But I mainly do primary eye care um, part of part days throughout the week. And then the other times uh, through the week, I co-manage patients um, with ophthalmologists. Uh, through an ODMD co-management practice. And that's pretty much what I do on a day-to-day basis. So ranging from glasses and contacts all the way to treating glaucoma, you know, watching for diabetes or cataracts or things like that. Um, so all general health things, eye things primarily, of course, but uh, mainly other things that manifest itself in the eyes. Okay. And the second thing I'm excited about, because I didn't mention, is this, like, you're an optometrist, which is so like cool because um i i've been going to an optometrist my entire life mainly right. <laughs> yeah and yeah. i realized like in my community of people that are like just in my close network there mm-hmm. aren't any optometrists which is ki- i feel like oh that's kind of weird to think about so i'm curious i want to hear all of the technical details of your job too but before i jump into that jason why did you decide to be an optometrist yeah so it was it was a pretty long journey and process um like you said i didn't really know much about optometry growing up either um especially because i never really wore glasses so i didn't really think that it was necessary for me at least my parents thought that But on the flip side, my brother had to wear glasses. He's a little bit older. And he's part of the reason why I chose optometry Um, in in a different sense. I'll kind of explain that in a little bit. But basically, I was a junior and senior in high school and growing up um, in a typical Asian-American household. My parents, you know, wanted me to pursue being a medical doctor, but I knew I didn't want to do that because I personally didn't want to bear the responsibilities of some sort of life and death situation. Um, That's just me. And I knew no matter what direction, you know, if I'm a doctor, whether it's family care or, you know, endocrinology or neurology or whatever, whatever type of, you know, MD that I would be or DO that I would be, um, had I chosen that path, you know, if something life-threatening were to happen, people would turn to me and be like, what do I do? And I did not want to deal with that pressure. Um, As well as the schooling as well. I I just didn't want to go through that many years. My cousin, who is 39 now, he's a radiologist and he just got done a few years ago. And looking through that, I was like, I do not want to do that. Yeah. And so I looked at different professions. I looked online um, what I could do. 
And I kind of just narrowed them out. Basically, of course, there's like pharmacy, dentistry, physical therapy. And I kind of worked, worked through the list of that. And physical therapy was out immediately because of my brother, who is a physical therapist. And so I just didn't want that sort of competition like um, <laughs> thing to happen between my brother and me. And, sure. and I get pretty hyper competitive and so does my brother and yes. so we would I feel like we would just butt heads and I can clash. attest to this yes yeah. <laughs> yes 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 and so because of that I personally just I had not even considered physical therapy one bit um and so so yeah and then I looked at dentistry and dentistry among the healthcare professions they were I think the highest suicidal rate and that seemed a little depressing and no one's really happy to go to the dentist because it's pretty painful and, and things like that. And this is no knock to dentists. Obviously they're really important and things like that, but just for me personally and my perception of it, which I'm sure had I chosen it, it would have changed just like my perception of optometry changed mm -hmm. as I progressed through optometry school. But that was my initial impression. Of course, there was no one that I knew that was a dentist that really asked those types of things. So in my mind, I just kind of tossed that out and then pharmacy as well. Um, I didn't want to, you know, just handle medications, um, because I like interacting with patients and things like that. And so then I came across optometry, which was, um, also a doctorate program as well. And I didn't really know much about it again, because I had never, you know, really been to an optometrist except maybe like one time when I was much younger and they said I didn't need glasses and I never went again. But then I looked into it and, you know, the career opportunities are very vast with optometry. Mm. You can have your own private practice, for example, where it's, it's just you deal with patients and um, you see them, you see their families, see their kids and things like that. And basically you see them for generations and things like, and um, for really established uh, practices, if you go that private practice route, or there's, you know, there's the VA route. You could work at a hospital. You could work at another private um, ophthalmology, which is the route through medical school. There's there's that route you can go regarding eye care, um, which primarily go through you know surgical procedures and things like that. But again, I didn't want kind of I didn't want to go through that process. And so I looked at that, and then I was like, oh, I might be interested in this. And so I decided to shadow an optometrist locally in Marietta. Um, I just shot him an email. I was like, hey, I'm considering optometry. I don't know anything about it, um, but I would like to kind of find out more about optometry. Is it okay if I shadow you? And this is my senior year of high school. So it was relatively early when I shadowed. Wow. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, I think I was the most ambitious my senior year of high school, I think. That's kind of insane, I feel like. I mean, no one when I was in school was like pursuing anything that hard that early. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I credit my parents a lot, especially my dad. I mean, he is the most driven person. If anyone knows my brother, he's far and away the most driven person I know. And, you know, it shows by all the things and all the major steps that he's taken in his life. Mm. Um, and so that's just where I got that drive. And, and that's how it started with optometry for me when I was a senior in high school. And so, yeah, I, I shadowed him and asked a bunch of questions, saw what a day in the life was. And his practice was great. He had his old, I think it was like eight years old at the time, golden retriever dog, just kind of roaming around the office. It was super laid back. And, you know, he was catching up with, you know, kids. And uh, when I shadowed, he had seen kids that he had seen since, you know, literally they were born and, and two years old when about their first eye exam was, 
all the way through high school and now entering college. And so seeing that personal relationship was something that I had strived for and something that I wanted to do. Mm. And so knowing that optometry school kind of goes through less schooling relative to the traditional um, MD or DO route, you know, is something that definitely piqued my interest. And so I looked into it a little bit more personally. And, and then I told my, my dad, I said, I think I want to do optometry. And, and of course, at first he didn't really know either, just like not many people do. And then he did the research for himself as well. And, and, you know, later, a couple months later, of course, initially there was a few pushback. He wanted me to, you know, be a medical doctor or at least go like physical therapy or pharmacy or dentistry or something that was a little bit more familiar to um, his, his eyes. And, um, and so since he didn't know much about optometry, it took him a couple of months to really get on board with it. But then once he said he did the research, he looked at it and he was all for me doing optometry um, from then on. And so I, I never looked back, um, which I think was pretty rare. Like when I compare and look back with my other peers, you know, from, from the first day of freshman year of college is what I wanted to do. And I essentially never really looked back. I didn't consider changing majors or anything. I just knew that, you know, what I had felt was my calling. And so I kind of just pushed through it and persevered through a lot of hardships and made my way. And here I am eight years later. Okay. So that was my next question. So like, yeah, you know, for to be an optometrist, you have to go through schooling, but if it takes eight years, does that mean you have to do four years of undergrad and then go to optometry school? Yeah. So optometry school is its own program. So uh-huh. like I, like I alluded to earlier, ophthalmology is a subset of um, a medical doctor or a um, doctor of osteopathic medicine, DO. So you go through, for optometry school, you traditionally go through four years of your bachelor's degree, and then you apply to an optometry school, which is a four-year program. And then there's the route of doing, you know, like a residency, for example, which I did for ocular disease. But it's a little different from medical school in that a residency isn't necessarily required. Um, of course, it's encouraged because it's, you know, continuing education, you know, specializing and things like that. Um, but it's it's not in the same rigor and intensity as a medical school, you know, residency. Uh, but I, I ended up going that route. Uh, my program specifically was one year, but there are programs that can go up to two years. So of course, it's, it's a little bit shorter than than the traditional route either. So I guess if you really wanted to count it, it would be nine years after. Uh, but that's the traditional route. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself and talking about school and stuff. But and mm-hmm. I really and I really should be asking you, um, you know, what I know of an optometrist. Okay. And I'm at the risk of sounding so dumb right now. Oh, no worries. Um, <laughs> Okay, so you're saying an optometrist is like somebody I go see to get my eyes checked. Mm-hmm. But then you used another word, ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. Is that different or is that just a noun version? Of- <laughs> oh, no, no worries, no worries. So in in the world of eye, eye care professions, uh-huh. um, there's usually, there's three... I guess with the OPT prefix, there's three. There's an optician, okay, optometrist, okay. and ophthalmologist. So okay. those are all yes. Um, keep going. It's all right. <laughs> um, those are those are three completely different paths and trajectories of of that 
career. So optician, um, I don't, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think you need a bachelor's degree. I think you can just go straight into it. Okay. And the role of an optician is to basically make sure the glasses fit properly. Um, Cause there are so many things and so many minute details that go into a mirror glasses, people that, you know, get them, they think that it's just, you get the prescription printed off a piece of paper, you give it to the optician to look at glasses and that's it. But then there are so many things that, that play a role into it. Um, and I apologize if I get too like technical, but there's things like optical centers where light has to go perfectly through the center of the glasses or else if it's off, then they perceive it to be a wrong prescription, but it's not really, it's just not centered correctly in their eyes. And that's why they dot the pupils for glasses and things like that, because they're trying to find what they call the optical center of the glasses. And so it's, it's a lot more work than people imagine it to be um, regarding an optician's route. And of course they fit glasses, make sure it's all, all, you know, fitting properly comfortable and they see well and things like that. And then Mm -hmm. they typically know more of the technical details of the glasses where they know the different lens materials. Um, they know what kind of company is good for their specific needs in terms of, you know, the, the type of lens materials and things like that. So that's the role of an optician. And then there's optometrist, which is myself. And they go through, like I said, through optometry school, and they are primary eye care providers. And so the, the scope of optometry has grown tremendously over the past 30, 40 years, um, and specifically in the last 10 to 15 years. So initially, what, what the average person thought of optometry was true, they mainly dealt with glasses and contacts, and that's it. But especially, like I said, over the last 10, 15 years, um, I would say even 20 years, their scope has expanded quite a bit to the point where now they're primarily, you know, primary eye care providers where they look at the general health of the eyes. And I don't know if you've heard the same, but they say like the eye is the window to the soul. Um, That is that is like the most true thing when it comes to a biological and physiological standpoint of how the eye works in terms of its anatomy, because the eyes are actually the only place you can look at blood vessels directly without having to cut yourself open. So you can look through the back of the eyes in in what's called the retina and you can see active blood vessels and they, and the blood vessels are what they call microvasculatures. which is basically a small blood vessel. And Mm -hmm. that small blood vessel basically tells an entire story of what's going on systemically with the big blood vessels. And so usually for things like, especially I mentioned diabetes, not many people think diabetes and eyes, but they're actually pretty heavily related. Um, But if I see signs of diabetes in the back of the eyes, that usually means that if they don't get their diabetes in control, there are going to be more systemic complications such as, you know, peripheral issues or numbness, tingling in their feet and things like that. Um, And of course, this the general systemic issues that people get with diabetes. And so we're, I view optometry, optometry as basically a gatekeeper of, you know, not only um, if they need to go a surgical route, which is, I'll, I'll talk about later with ophthalmology, but, you know, general health as well, because there are just so many things that you see in the eyes that 
are going to be diagnosed only through eyes. Um, but patients aren't going to know that. They're just going to, their main concern is just, oh, my vision is blurry, for example. Right. Um, well, they don't know that their blood sugar or their blood glucose is out of control. And that caused a huge prescription change. And it wasn't that their eyes just blurry. It's that their blood sugar is out of control and it manifests in the eyes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so these are the things that optometrists are fully capable of managing. And it's really what I manage as well, because my, like I said, my residency was in ocular disease. So I see tons and tons of diseases uh, throughout my residency, which I still work there now part-time, but, um, but yeah, so I see a lot of, you know, diabetes. Uh, I've seen, uh, I've diagnosed multiple sclerosis, for example, by, by blurry vision in the eyes. What? And so that's how it manifests and, and things like that, that you wouldn't realize that I didn't realize before going into optometry school. Um, like, so you're telling me that like, just by the, what you see, like vascularly, like the veins, mm-hmm. you can determine that something is going on. Yes, that is absolutely correct. So um, especially, <laughs> yeah, especially, like I said, because it's the microvasculature that is affected first before the bigger stuff happens sure, first. And sure. so, and going back to the multiple sclerosis real quick, the retina is, is actually directly part of your brain. If you look at it from a neurological and embryological standpoint, it is a direct connection from the brain to the eye. It's an extension Right. So when you say, when you think of, you know, when you learn in your basic anatomy classes, your central nervous system and peripheral nervous system, your CNS, PNS, the retina is your CNS. It is actually part of your brain. And so if you think of all the neurological things such as MS, then you can see it manifested in what we call the optic nerve in the back of the eyes. And so they're not going to know that, you know, and so for example, um, you can, for multiple, let's just stick with multiple sclerosis since I, since we're talking about it, but one of the signs and symptoms of multiple sclerosis is this phenomenon, phenomenon called Uthoff's phenomenon, where basically if you're under hot conditions, your vision gets blurry. And that is a neurological thing that happens. And so if, if I see something that's going on in the back of their eyes, that's explaining their blurry vision, you know, sometimes I might ask, you know, when you take a hot shower, does your vision get blurry? And the patient, like, oh, Actually, now that you mention it, it does. And so there are things like that where I look at it, I look at, you know, the epidemiology of their, you know, of their, of the patient, you know, the age, does it match, you know, when you typically get diagnosed with di- with uh, multiple sclerosis and things like that. And so you kind of have to fit that piece of the puzzle to kind of see what exactly is going on. And this isn't like an everyday type thing, um, of course, but I mean, there are those instances where, you know, you can potentially um, through early intervention, you know, make a huge difference because there are these things that they don't understand, or it's such an early sign that they see um, through the eyes first, you know, I'm able to stop the progression of it, you know, getting worse, more systemically um, in that sense. I mean, no, that is insane to me. (laughs) I had no idea. Like, I mean... It's not cool that people have disease, but it's cool. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it, I had no idea that that was something... I guess I've never just... I've never thought about it, really. Right, yeah. And, and I mean, to be fair, there's no, there's no really real reason for you to think about it. Or you blanket statement for anyone who 
feel like, oh, I just need glasses. Problem solved. I got the glasses. Life is good. Right. I don't need to see them again until I run out of contacts or want a new pair of glasses. Right. But okay, just, so, wait, so real yeah. quick though. Okay, mm-hmm. so like, um, is this like ability to see what's going on vascularly, like something that is deeper than looking at their eye? On like, I mean, like you're not like cutting people open to do this, right? No. So you you use a lens, and this is why people are recommended to get annual dilated eye exams. Right. Okay. Um, right. Uh-huh. And so, you know, you have the color part of the eye called the iris. Uh-huh. Um, in most Asian Americans, it's brown. But of course, with, you know, Caucasian or lighter skins, you can get the variation blue, green, hazel, what whatnot. Um, and so when you dilate your eyes, what's happening, the iris itself is actually a muscle. And so you're expanding the iris muscle and that pupil, which is right in the center, that's actually just a hole. Um, and it's a hole that goes directly to the back into the retina, which are cells that basically capture light signal uh-huh. and all the light signal of your entire retina converges into one cable fiber called the optic nerve. Okay. And then that optic nerve goes to the brain and that's ultimately what allows us to see. I see. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm like blown <laughs> away right now. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay. Did you want to elaborate more on optometry or can you tell me more about the third kind of sector of this as an ophthalmologist? Yeah. So, so before I go into ophthalmology, I'll just like very briefly go over um, the different modalities of optometry. Um, Again, I mainly do primary care and ocular disease, but there are tons of different, you know, specific modalities of practice practice within optometry um there's sports vision that's a huge thing that's an up-and-coming thing what is that (laughs) yeah and so there's training and kind of like physical training there's also eye training um where you know you go through what you call like saccadic movements or pursuits of the eye to kind of track and better track baseball so baseball is actually a really good example because when you look from the point at which the ball is thrown from the pitcher all the way to you, that process of following the ball with your eyes and determining in that split second, do I swing? Do I not swing? Is it going to be a strike? Is it going to be a ball? And that whole process is something that you have to process in, you know, a split second. And I don't even pretend to begin to understand that I know the ins and outs of baseball, but in a nutshell, that requires such a detailed eye movement that there are specific, you know, things that you can do to help better track the ball, for example. Um, And so kind of work with exercises in order to better follow that ball and be able to have that hand-eye coordination into being able to swing and hit that ball. You're serious right now? Yeah. So there there are doctors that help people do that? Absolutely, yeah. In, In the world of sports vision, it's super vast. That's just one of the examples um, of it. That is, that is so cool. Yeah, it is. It is (laughs) really cool. That's like saying you can train someone to have a superpower in sports. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, to be able to, you know, follow the, I mean, it is some intensive stuff to do with, with baseball, especially, you know, that's insane. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like floored right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a big sports lover too. I'm a sports mm-hmm. fan, so like I can appreciate that. And I 
I mean, I guess, I guess. Why not? That's yeah. crazy. Like, so what do they do? I mean, I don't know if you know, but do they do like exercises like daily or something? Yeah. So they can do exercises. They can do exercises where they, um, so when you're following the ball, the specific term is called a pursuit. So you're following the movement of the ball. Okay. And so there are certain exercises you can do to enhance your pursuit movement and tracking. And so that kind of, this is a much more oversimplification of what it actually is. But basically, sure. in your brain, you're able to slow it down a little bit okay. to kind of track it better so okay. that you know. Yes. Um, so, and so pe- there are yeah. people that are kind of even born with this, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's like one of a completely different route of you know of optometry that's something that you can specialize in it's definitely an up-and-coming one it's not as well known as or as um prevalent as you know like an ocular disease um specialized optometrist um and and of course there's there's neuro optometry because like i said the retina is you know a direct extension of the brain and so um having a big understanding of how the brain works plays a big role into you know the eyes especially with uh, post-concussive patients that, that people see. There's a lot of things that they get with migraines and headaches that are really correlated with the eyes as well. Um, and so that's that's a route. And then, um, of course, there's pediatrics and binocular vision. Mm. There's actual um, vision therapy, which is more of a, um, more so for kids, but also adults as well. Um, if they have what they call binocular vision issues, if their eyes aren't working as a, as a unit, as a singular unit, Hmm. Um, there are things like vision therapy that you can do. Um, so all that to say, I mean, it's, it's fairly vast in terms of the different routes that you can go, um, with optometry. Um, but again, that's just where I went. Okay. And so primary care, just to reiterate and clarify is, mm-hmm. is what I like, I personally would be used to if I wear glasses, yeah. somebody I'd go, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Okay. Man, I mean, I appreciate you kind of exposing listeners and myself to the different types that are out there because, again, mm-hmm. like, no idea, no clue. Just Yeah, <laughs> I, and honestly, I had no idea until I went into optometry. I didn't realize how vast it was. Um, I mean, it I is thought, fascinating. Yeah, I'm, like, completely fascinated is, right now. <laughs> yeah, it is very fascinating, yeah. Man, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have to tell me about the third part now. Yes, so ophthalmology... So ophthalmology goes through the route um, through medical school. Mm -hmm. And so they go through their traditional four years of, you know, their bachelor's or undergraduate, and then they apply to medical school. um, And then they specialize in a residency and then they go into a fellowship. And so it kind of just narrows and narrows and narrows. And so with medical school and ophthalmology, you go, you know, what you think of medical school, you go through four years, understand general medicine, how everything works in the body, um, and then you have maybe one class. I don't, I don't really know the schedule of, of medical school, but I imagine it's a class or, or a topic about the eyes. Um, but considering, you know, the whole body, I'm sure there's, you know, that's only a small part, portion mm-hmm. of what they go through. And then after that, when you apply for your residency and you do our, you, when you do your OR matching, then you get into ophthalmology. And that's when you specialize um, in in the eyes in that sense. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. But so, so like, so what you're saying, so an ophthalmologist would be somebody that 
uh, like cataract surgery? Like yeah, like exactly. That? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, just about every ophthalmology um, practice does some form of surgery. The okay. only exception to that would likely be neuro ophthalmology, um, where they don't really do surgical procedures as much. But every other subset of ophthalmology essentially does a surgical route. And so that's where the main difference lies with optometry and ophthalmology. Um, Optometry can do the full scope of, you know, prescribing eye drops, for example, for glaucoma, if their eye hurts or if they need like a steroid or something like that. Mm. Um, They have the, in most states, they have the exact same rights as an ophthalmologist does from that standpoint. And so where it really sets the difference between optometry and ophthalmology is that ophthalmologists do surgical um, procedures on the patients, Mm -hmm. such as, like you said, cataract surgery, or if they need further intervention um, for glaucoma, for example, if eye drops aren't working, um, or if there's some complications of diabetes that's going on in the back of the eyes, or if they have like a retinal detachment or something like that, then you would see an ophthalmologist to go through that surgical procedure. And then after that, you know, they go Usually there's a really good coordinated care between optometrists and ophthalmologists where optometrist sees the primary care and then they see something wrong. They refer to an ophthalmologist, do whatever procedures they need to do, and then they refer right back to the optometrist and then they continue seeing them for their primary eye care. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see. So um, what does a typical day for you look like then like yes. on the job? Yeah. So for me, um, like I said, I had just finished my ocular disease residency about two weeks ago. So this is actually my first week. Congrats. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was a long year, but it, I definitely learned a lot from it. Um, but yeah, so this is actually my first week as a post-resident um, eye doc. So right now I am at this uh, corporate location here in Columbus, Ohio, Um, And I work there part-time, essentially Monday through Wednesday, um, some Saturdays as well. But then on Thursdays and Fridays, I work at my residency place that I I went through, which is a co-management of ophthalmology and optometry. Okay. Um, And so I get kind of like the full scope of things. Um, I'm getting the primary eye care with optometry. Uh, with my Monday through Wednesday schedule at iMart. And then I I see a lot of medical and um, more serious conditions regarding the eyes and managing that on my Thursday, Fridays with the ophthalmologists. And so on my Monday through Wednesday schedule at iMart, I'm the only doctor that's there. Okay. Um, So I'm seeing them essentially from start to finish. Which Okay. Uh, I have to say again, it's so crazy for me. (laughs) But anyways. Yeah. That you know you're the you're the doctor in the house you know yeah that, yeah I mean it's still like, has I'm, all the answers little Jason yeah, Rowe okay I, I know I, it's still surreal to me yeah like just because I'm I recently graduated last year but like yeah it still feels really surreal that that I've made it this far looking yeah, back yeah it's amazing it, all that thank to you. say it's, it's truly amazing I'm like thank I'm you so proud of you seriously oh, thank you thank you um okay so you're the only doctor there yeah so um. And I, I mean, I surprisingly see a lot of um, stuff there, but I'll, I'll allude to that later. But anyways, um, that's my Monday through Wednesdays and some Saturdays. And then my Thursdays and Fridays, I work um, with ophthalmologists along with other optometrists. 
and their system is a little unique. Um, they basically have optometrists look again at the main primary eye care conditions and things like that. So um, if they have, you know, cataracts that they need to be watched for, if they have glaucoma that's starting to happen, you know, optometrists such as myself, you know, I'll treat and manage. Um, but the final say and final decisions usually from the ophthalmologist because it's usually their patients at the end. And if they need any surgical interventions, that's when they'll typically come in. But for the most part, they they trust us um, regarding the ophthalmologist. They trust in what we do. Um, and they usually don't really change anything that we say just because, you know, they understand that we're fully capable doctors as well. And so whatever they do, you know, whatever, whatever we say and what we do, you know, they'll usually just go with it. And and of course, if we have questions, because they deal with more um, pathology and more, you know, if something's really messed up, you know, that's where they step in in case they need a surgery. So they're more comfortable in that spot as opposed to optometrists. You know, we're mainly, we understand what conditions are, but in terms of, you know, the surgical management and the, and the nitty gritty details and what it is and what to do, um, you know, that's where, you know, we know when we should refer, but in this case, it's a co-management, which is nice because then they're in there in case there is something emergent that needs to be done, you know, they're there. Mm. Um, so that's a day in the life in my, uh, ophthalmology, optometry co-management practice. And so, during my time uh, of residency, I was usually the main um, preoperative and postoperative um, optometrist for cataracts. So oh, that wow. was a huge thing. Wow. Um, so I would well, okay, see them. Okay, so what is mm-hmm. cataracts? Yeah. So, <laughs> so in the basic anatomy of the eye, you have a lens, and that sits right behind the colored part of your eye. Okay. Um, and the main role of the lens is basically to – to bend light rays to 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 have it meet at the very back of the eye okay. called the macula mm-hmm. um the macula is basically just a subset of the retina essentially okay. it's part of the retina so, so you can I'm just following. say retina yeah and so the lens kind of is it's flexible and so it can contract it can retract and things like that and so its goal is to bend light a certain way um, to let you see its other main job is this other thing called accommodation, um, which is basically a focusing system that you have that allows you to see up close. And so if you wear, are you, are you wearing your contacts, for example, right now? Yes, I am. Or, okay. So for example, if you're wearing contacts, you know, you're no longer nearsighted. I'm assuming you're nearsighted. I cannot see far. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're <laughs> nearsighted. So with the contacts, if you kind of put your hand out in front of you, you can purposefully make it blurry um, yes. with your contacts on. Yes. But if you have your contacts out with no problem, it'll be nice and clear because you're yes. naturally nearsighted. Yes. And so when you're wearing your contacts and you stare at your hand, you make it blurry on purpose, but you can focus in on it and make it clear. Yes. That process from blurry to clear is called accommodation. Okay. And you are using the lens in the back of your eyes to allow that to happen, okay. to allow yourself to clear things up, up close. Okay. And as you get older, the lens loses its flexibility. And so it's no longer able to quote unquote accommodate. And so that's why, you know, you start seeing people that depend on reading glasses or, mm-hmm. you know, in their early forties, you know, I used to never have to wear glasses, 
but now all of a sudden I have to buy, buy these over-the-counter reading glasses to help me see. And that's because of the lens, they've lost their accommodation. Mm. Um, that's, that's a quick tangent of what the lens is, but okay. coming back home to cataract. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. No, don't um, be sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked the question. Yeah. yeah. And so with cataracts, what that is, is basically just a, a densening and hardening of the lens. Uh, initially when you're born and in your younger years, the lens should be nice and clear, uh, that allows light to come in directly through the lens, but over time, the lens opacifies and that's through, you know, just general UV light absorption from the sun, um, and things like that. It's just a natural aging progression. Uh, just like your knees ache as you get older, you develop cataracts. Oh. It's not a disease. It's just what happens in life as you get older. So 100% of the percent of the population have cataracts if you live long enough. <gasps> so earliest signs are typically about early 40s-ish, late 30s, early 40s. But if I were to see a 50-year-old patient, I would put money that that patient has cataracts no matter what. Um, so, um, what is this fix that is happening as you do surgery? Yeah. And so with cataract surgery, what they do is they actually, um, come in from the side. And so your lens sits in this bag, essentially it's called the capsule. And so when they do surgery, they use an ultrasound to break up the lens into a tiny bunch of little pieces. And then they use a vacuum to suck it all up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> inside the bag. It sounds really terrifying. It sounds but horrible. Yeah. It, <laughs> at first it sounded terrifying, but the process itself is actually only 10 minutes. The, really? the whole cataract yeah. surgery is only 10 minutes. It, it's a very quick, very low risk procedure just because it's so commonly done and it's so necessary, especially with this aging boomer population. Yes. More yes. and more cataract surgeries are being done. Interesting. Um, and so basically you, you break it up and then use a vacuum to suck it up. And then you put in an artificial lens um, with, you know, through this injection pen essentially. And so you put it right back in the bag uh, or the capsule and then you allow it to unfold and then it just sits right in place. Huh. Yeah. The anatomy of the eye is really cool. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Um, what were we talking about something before I asked this question? About cataracts? Well, you, oh, you were telling me you're responsible for the pre-op and post-op yeah. of the cataracts. Yeah, surgery. yeah, yeah. Yes. So I'll usually, you know, recommend there's different kinds of lenses, lens implants that you can do for cataract surgery. Okay. And so, you know, if you the insurance, your, your health insurance only covers, you know, what you call a standard lens. Um, and that basically, or let me backtrack real quick. So cat, with cataract surgery, the unique and nice thing about it is that when they do the lens implant, they can actually customize, not exactly, but just about your glasses prescription into that lens. Hmm. So you reduce the dependence of glasses after cataract surgery. So uh -huh. if you're okay. nearsighted, for example, um, you know, they can put whatever prescription you are, you know, if you're like a minus four or something, you, they can put a minus four prescription essentially into that lens. And, and therefore you would not need glasses for, for a certain distance. And that, and that goes into more complicated things in terms of the different types of lenses. Um, but there are different premium lenses that gives you better clarity, um, what they call extended range of vision, where, you know, you can see far away all the way up to up close and things like that. 
Um, so there, there's a lot of different, you know, lens options that you can do. Yeah. And so you have to tell them about it. Yeah. I have to, I have to let them know that such things exist because a lot of people don't understand what cataracts are, um, really what they just follow what, you know, their primary eye care doctors, you know, tell them. And that's the unique thing about my, my practice. Um, you know, we are a referral center and so we get referrals from optometrists from all over the state Mm. basically you know hey this person has developed cataracts you know glasses just aren't cutting it for them anymore they need surgery and so they'll come to us and then we'll look at them we'll get measurements to see what kind of lens implant is good for them and then you know of course we do the surgery and then either myself or someone else will look at them post-operatively and then after that's done then we refer them and send them right back to their primary optometrist. And then from there, they just constantly watch them as, as scheduled. I see. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Um, so could you tell me a little bit more about like um, your Monday through Wednesday schedule? And- yeah, yeah. And so that um, practice is, uh, like I said, it's called iMart. Um, that is more, it's, it's a corporate chain, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's a unique corporate chain in that um, within each corporate chain and each practice, the optometrist that is there has his or her own um, reign in terms of how the practice flows. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's different from like if you were to go inside, you know, um, and again, even this, th- this, this has some variants as well, but um, just to be generic, like if you were to go inside like a Walmart, for example, you have to meet Walmart's quota, for example, of seeing X numbers of patients. And so you wouldn't have, because of the quota that is needed for, you know, like a Walmart or Target Optical, something like that, you you would not be able to have the flexibility to do the full scale of eye care um, that an optometrist would normally be able to do, such as, you know, dilating their eyes, looking at the back, looking at the health, you know, they're primarily more focused of you know, just what glasses prescription can we get for you? And of course, that's not what they mainly do. Um, but, you know, there is a there is a need for that that practice and modality of optometry as well. So it is important to have, but, you know, that kind of is an oversimplification of what optometrists can do. And so mine is, I guess, classified as a corporate chain, but it's unique in that it almost works like a private practice. Um, to where I can, you know, see patients at my own pace and I, I can make sure I get a good look at them, you know, through their whole eye, eye health and not just mm. glasses and contacts. And so mm. I have several patients that I'm watching for complications of, of diabetes, for example, it's called diabetic retinopathy. Um, retinopathy is pathology. And so diabetic retinopathy, um, glaucoma that I'm watching with eye pressures, um, you know, watching people for cataracts as well, see if, you know, when it's time for them to be referred out to an ophthalmologist to do the surgery before I see them again mm-hmm. and things like that. And so that's more of a day-to-day basis for me at iMart. And of course, I've seen tons of things that I've referred. And so my, my practice specifically is a little unique um, because where I'm working at has a pretty strong minority demographic. And so I'm seeing a lot of, yeah, so I'm seeing a lot of um, patients that have the perception of, as long as I can see, I don't need to see you. But then all of a sudden, you know, they come in with like I was talking about earlier, they just come in, oh, my vision is blurry all of a sudden. 
And then all of a sudden I see all these crazy things going on in the back of the eye. Wow. And I'm referring people to neurologists, um, endocrinologists or primary care doctors, you know, if I see diabetes, um, things like that, you know, I actually, this was about five weeks ago. I actually had to call the ER after I found something in the back of the eye because they had essentially a stroke in the eye because I saw a blood clot in the vasculature of the retina. And so that, you know, it's called a central retinal artery occlusion. And so if that dislodges even further, it can actually go to the brain (gasps) leading to an actual stroke. Um, By definition, it still is a stroke. It's just an eye stroke. But if it's not taken care of, it can happen to the brain. Jason, you saved someone's life? I don't, I wouldn't go that far. But That's crazy. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I, unfortunately, I, I hadn't followed up with him. So I think um, my other partner um, followed up with him. So I'm not entirely sure what happened with him. But, you know, it's it's instances like those which make it really rewarding. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, and so there are like a lot of things like that that happen, you know, um, you know, saving someone from, you know, potential this is less severe, but like worsening complications of diabetes. Like I talked about, you know, I had, I had discovered multiple sclerosis in a patient before, um, people with headaches. I've, I've discovered what they call, um, pseudotumor cerebri where basically you have an increased, you know, brain pressure and there's so much brain pressure that actually all the pressure pushes forward into the eyes. And so that's causing headaches, blurry vision, things like that. And so that requires, you know, a pretty emergent referral to, sure. to a neurologist or a neuro-ophthalmologist, you know, for further treatment and intervention for that. And so, I, I mean, I've seen some crazy things. Um, and I and yeah. literally like, like, um, it's just so fascinating to hear you talk about it because, you know, well, one, as a patient, right? Like, mm-hmm. see, I'm going in for blurry vision and I'm just thinking I'm going to get a, you know, a prescription, you know, and then there's yeah. this revelation of, you know, it's deeper than that. It's more mm-hmm. than that. Um, yeah. And something that you need to address. And it's mm-hmm. not just your like vision. It's like your body. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's that's a huge part of optometry. Like I said, just because it's such a unique organ and that you can see the blood vessel and that it tells so much of what's going on in your whole body. You know, mm-hmm. if you have high blood pressure, you can see, you know, complications of that as well. And going back to my, my Monday through Wednesday practice at IMART, you know, again, with the minority population as well, a lot of them, you know, their first eye exams are at 25, 30, 40, you know, even 50 mm-hmm. years old, and they don't complain about anything and they think they see fine. But then all of a sudden, you know, I show them this prescription and their whole world is changed drastically just because they thought they were seeing fine, but they didn't realize that their vision could have been improved that much. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I just thought of my friend who like got LASIK, but oh, then yeah? like for a long time, he just thought everyone saw blurry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, surprised how many people think that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, it's fairly what? Common. I was like, what are you saying right now? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I just thought people saw blurry. And I'm like, that's crazy. To me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, so that happens all the time. And that's what makes, you know, my practice there at IMAR, it makes it super, super rewarding because there, there's, there's a really big Somali demographic there. So, you know, 
patients Somal- that- Do you say Somali? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Somali. Yeah, yeah. And so um, Columbus, Ohio just has a lot of, of that demographic. And so okay. I see a lot of them. And so a lot of them require a lot more patience because they're not really English speaking I see. as much. And so a lot of them require translators and things like that. Mm. Um, but I mean, there are days where it gets pretty frustrating, of course, just because, you know, lost in translation and sure. it gets difficult. But, you know, in some of the cases that I've seen, you know, it, it makes a huge difference for them. It makes it super, super rewarding more than, you know, you know, a traditional practice where, you know, if, if it's a more well-off society or, or um, economic standpoint, you know, they're just in there for glasses and out, you know, and yeah. it's just nothing new, but, you know, there, there are a lot of big, you know, eye-opening, you know, opportunities that I have there. And it's, I mean, it's almost on a daily basis, you know, there's at least one patient that, you know, had never had glasses and it's just mind blown by how they, how well they can see even children as well. Um, because they just, they don't complain because like your friend, for example, they just thought everyone else saw that way, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. that applies to children as well, because they don't know any better. And so when they come in, you know, when they realize they failed their eye screen um, at school, for example, you know, they come into us, you know, looking say, hey, my daughter or son failed his or her um, I, your, your screening exam. And so I, I show them a glasses prescription and, you know, you see eyes lit up and like, they didn't know they could see like that. You know, they didn't know they're supposed to see like that. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of that is very rewarding um, just because again, there's just a loss of, a loss of, you know, understanding of, you know, vision and how important it is, you know, to get your eyes checked, even if you don't feel like, you know, anything is wrong. And so there's a lot of rewarding aspects of, yeah. of optometry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so great. I'm like, um, you know, that was me elementary school, yeah. eight years old. I like had no, I, you know, I, but you know, I was worried about getting teased and I mm-hmm. knew I, cause my parents both wore glasses and I knew like, Oh, I, I probably need glasses. But then when I wore them, I was like, Oh, this is, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not stressed at school. Cause I'm like struggling to see the board. Right. And oh, that's awesome right. though. It really does sound like you found your purpose and what it is that you're doing. Jason. Oh it's yeah. Really I, awesome. yeah, I love, I love what I do. Um, that's awesome. yeah. Um, okay. So I need to backtrack just a little bit, um, because I'm curious to the process of getting into, um, optometry school after your bachelor's like, um, Mm -hmm. is there a test that needs to be taken to get in or? Yeah. So, so there's, so like, um, the different schools, like the DAT for dentistry, there's also what they call an OAT Okay. and that's the main test that you do. It, it, it's divided into two, two sections. There's like a reading and I think a math, it's been a while since I took it. I think there's a reading and mathematics section and then there's a general science section. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, things like that, like subsets of that. Um, basically like a DAT or an MCAT um, essentially. And so you do have to take that test and then you use that score essentially in addition to your GPA and, and bachelor's degree to apply to optometry school and, and they use that um, to go through the interview process. And then- So I heard there aren't a lot of optometry schools in That America. is correct. So I think there's, uh, it's, it's hard to say because there's a lot of new schools opening up recently, but I think there's about 
30, 33, something like that. Right, that's not a lot. Yeah, like low 30s. Yeah, yeah, and that's part of the reason why I ended up in Ohio is because there's actually no optometry schools in Georgia. Yes, um, that's, so that's the reason I know that because I know someone actually that that actually goes back and forth to like Alabama or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Actually, I don't there's, know what state it is, but yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a school, um, University of Alabama at Birmingham. That that's an optometry school there. Okay, yeah, um, and so I know that she told me she just comes home for the weekend because there's not that many optometry schools. That's correct. Yeah, and so the closest one from you know the metro Atlanta area is Birmingham, which is I think it's about like three hours, three and mm-hmm. a half hours, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe two and a half. But anyways, yeah. So that's the closest one, um, and so it's it can be pretty competitive just because sure. there's not that many schools of it. Yeah. And again, optometry is not what it used to be. It used to be you know just purely the glasses, but there's been a huge shift into the more general primary eye care, um, especially because of, again, the booming population, you know, the, the baby boomers and the, and the overall aging populations, there's just so much more pathology and more things that need to be addressed um, from a surgical standpoint from ophthalmologists that they don't have the time or, you know, they, they just don't have the ability to take care of all these patients. And so they're relying slowly through, optometrists because they're realizing you know how you know competent we are in order to deal with these kind of things and so there's a big shift um and and it's very different like the optometrists that are you know close to retirement they don't know as much of the primary eye care and that they're what we mainly think of with optometrists or the average person of optometrists and then the ophthalmologists you know they mainly do that kind of stuff and so the up and coming ophthalmologists, they understand, you know, the co-management role of mm-hmm. optometrists. I and see. I think initially there was a lot of friction between optometrists and ophthalmologists because their ophthalmologists were worried that optometrists would kind of, you know, take their patients. But then, you know, from a financial standpoint, it makes a lot more economical sense, you know, to manage more cataracts and more surgical things um, long-term and, and let optometrists, you know, be able to co-manage and know when to refer just because they get, they get more referrals. Um, and so it's becoming a lot more cooperative, um, profession between the two. Initially it wasn't like that. Um, but, but now, now it is. Um, and so even some States, you know, some optometrists such as, uh, in, in some States such as Kentucky and Oklahoma, Oklahoma, among others, they can actually do some surgical procedures. Um, yeah, so it is, it is a really fast and growing profession. Um, that's becoming more of a medical side because it's a really strong need for it as well. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's where the direction of optometry is heading. So it's more, it's far more than just glasses and contacts. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely learning that today. It's really cool. Um, so while you were in school, Jason, like, Mm -hmm. was there anything that was like maybe challenging for you or like in the middle of school, did you ever like doubt or question your decisions at all or? Yeah. So so all the time, (laughs) not all the time. There were a lot of hardships to optometry school because it was it was very challenging. Mm. Um, and ironically, like even though I knew that this is what I, I had wanted to do, um, it, it like science was not natural for me, and that definitely mm. carried through to 
optometry school. So like understanding, you know, basic biology, like I, in high school, like, I don't even know if I've ever gotten like an A or anything like that in, in biology or, mm. or like hard sciences like that. It just didn't come natural to me. And so going from that in uh, undergraduate where it's, you know, just a few classes here and there about, you know, biology, which is my major, by the way, um, with biology and biological classes, then even further going into that, I mean, it did not come natural, but I, I, you know, after talking with my, my brother, my parents and, and the people close to me, you know, I, you know, found that perseverance and drive to be able to kind of push through that. Um, and there's a really good support system in general at school as well. You know, it's, it's not as competitive as, you know, let's say medical school where you're kind of competing with your class to get that residency spot. Um, because that, that is a really competitive thing. And so, you know, there are moments where people don't like study with each other just because like, you know, they don't want them to succeed more than they do or more than the individual does. But yeah, yeah, that is not the case at all in optometry school. Like we are all one, you know, family essentially. And so my school at Ohio state, which is where I went to for optometry school, we had, I think, 64 students. And so, I mean, we were, in my class specifically, we were like one big happy family. Like, yeah. you could line everyone up. I could name first, last name, and, and a unique fact about fact about each person. You know, yeah, it, it yeah. was like that. And, like, we, we were really tight-knit. And so we had a lot of um, support for each other, which was good. So all that to say, it was definitely challenging. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we all went through it. And so, you know everyone will be able to go through it if they put their mind to it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it was just really important to um, tell people that maybe are considering it, that it's not like just a walk in the park. And No, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the no, because title... okay, the reason I ask too mm-hmm. is like, I don't want there to be a misconception of like, um, okay, don't don't take this the wrong way. Okay? I won't, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, like, comparing it to what your parents kind of wanted you to do as a medical doctor right and then there's optometry where it's a medical doctor from especially from what i've learned today Mm -hmm. um and people thinking oh like this is the easier route or the lesser than you know and it's and it's clear that it's not you know yeah i mean just with any profession whether it's like physical therapy pharmacy dentistry like being a doctor does not come easy. It takes yeah. a lot of work. And, right, right. You know, no matter what type of doctor you become, even if it's like, even if it's a PhD, for example, you know, mm-hmm. you're still a doctor. That takes years and years of work after your bachelor's. Um, and so people have to remember that, you know, the the salary and whatnot, that doesn't come easy. If it was, right. everyone would be an optometrist. Everyone would be a dentist or whatever. Um, but obviously that's not the case. And so you really have to find your niche in that situation, you know, in healthcare specifically, um, just because it's such a narrow route once you find that route, you know Mm. what I mean? And so like with dentistry, for example, it's very easy in terms of the route you take, you go through bachelor's, you go through dentistry, you practice, same thing with physical therapy, you go through bachelor's or your undergraduate physical therapy school, practice, medical Mm. school, you know, all the same thing with healthcare professions. And so it's a pretty straightforward route it's just you just have to know that that route is the route for you um yeah. as opposed to you know like business for example where you major and then it's like now what and right, that wasn't right. for me right. I, I needed that direction and yeah, that's yeah. why 
Yeah. And I've always had a knack for, you know, wanting to take care of people and kind of forming those relationships. And mm -hmm. I felt like after, especially after shadowing that optometrist, I felt like um, that was just the perfect job for me specifically, just because, you know, I personally saw myself not willing to go through that much schooling. Again, having that life or death kind of decision weight upon me, um, I didn't want to go through that. Um, and so, you know, I found the perfect, you know, compromise between it um, throughout optometry. And one of the practices that I had for, that I went through for my externship, for example, they've been around since 1943. Wow. Yeah. And it was three generations of optometrists. Amazing. Yeah, I love and, like legacy stuff like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it too. Yeah. I had, I have a classmate of mine. I mean, his, I think up to like great grandfather, he was an optometrist <gasps> as well. Yeah. So cool. it's like four generations. So it's like really cool to see that that kind of, you know, path exists. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's what I really love about it is that, you know, it's a family type thing when I love, you know, forming those relationships with my patients, um, which, which is really rewarding yeah, for me. And so, amazing. Mm -hmm. um, Okay, so Jason, I've never done this before, but I fielded yeah. questions in social media because I knew I was going to have this conversation with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, is there any questions that you'd want to ask an optometrist? And oh, so I'm going to look at these yeah. questions real fast. Okay, um, yeah. Not a lot. Uh, well, more than I expected came in, actually. Yeah. But <laughs> okay. Okay, give me one second. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Um, the first question is, mm -hmm. do I really need to throw away my contact lenses after two weeks? <laughs> and I, I read this. I was like, this is a great question. Uh, okay. So, I mean, to, I, I get it. Like, you want to save money. But uh -huh. let me tell you, especially at my residency at, through ocular disease, I've seen this condition called a fungal keratitis, which is basically a fungal induced complication. And they've, and this is just by overwearing contact lenses. Um, she overwears them. She, what you call top off um, her solution, her contact lens solution by um, not replacing the solution every night. And it's all these little things. If I just do that, then it'll be okay. If I just sleep in my contacts for this one night, it'll be okay. If I overwear it by one day, two days, you know, one week, it'll be okay. But all these things accumulate and, sh and there's a much, much higher likelihood of you getting a complication. And so this specific patient that I had in mind, I mean, she went from, and she's only, she was only, I think early thirties as well. So she was a very young patient. And so she is essentially, you know, just what we call light perception and hand motion where she can only perceive motions of the hand. Um, of course, that is a really rare case, but you don't want to be that one person. Okay, so like, if I'm real, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I I try to drag out my contacts as long as I can because mm -hmm. of money, right? Because mm -hmm. it's so, um, I feel like it's so wasteful sometimes. I, no, I, I, like I said, I totally get it. Like, I would want to save money in the best way as possible, but... I mean, if you look at it in the perspective of you only get one set of yes, eyes. Yes, so I was just going to say yeah. that, right? Yeah. So, like, my mom, I remember my mom, like, found out I was doing this, like, even mm -hmm. when I was younger. And mm -hmm. she was like, Blair, like, 
you literally only get one pair of eyes. Yeah. Like, it's not a big deal. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah no, I mean. It, it's it's hard to perceive, you know, going going blind. And like, again, that was like a unicorn case. Super rare for that to happen. But all that to say, it can happen. It does you know? happen. Yeah. yeah. And so my biggest advice is, I mean, I'm obviously I can't force anyone to do that if you can help it wear it as it's scheduled um okay. if it's a two-week replacement wear for two weeks <laughs> of course don't sleep in them don't swim in them especially in like a lake that'd be the worst thing to do oh, God. yeah 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 <laughs> i mean you'd be surprised but um but yeah like you know follow it as best you can but the moment you notice something off you know come in and see the optometrist mm. you know and get it checked because it can some bacteria that get on your eyes from those from those complications it can go downhill real real fast if you don't catch it early um okay. and so you want to catch things before it gets too late so if you're if it's not tolerable anymore you know don't just wait and think it it'll go away in, in a couple of days you know see someone just in case um again the likelihood is really low um i feel like it's my duty to say you know yes wear, wear it as you should every two weeks yes, you know Dr. but Jason. Yeah. <laughs> But of Got course I, I get, I get it. Um, but yeah, that, but that would be what I would, that would be my response to that question. Okay. It's a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> Don't overuse your contact lenses. You're going to yes. go blind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Next question. Um, Ooh, I've actually never asked any of my guests this question because for a lot of reasons, but Okay. I'm not asking it. Someone else's. So okay. what's the earning potential of an optometrist? It, it varies quite a bit. Um, so my, uh, I'll, I'll start with the ceiling first, mm, at least the ceiling that I know. Um, my uh, economics optometry professor, he said he was in the top 0.3% of, of optometrists. And 0.3%. Yeah, 0.3, not even 3% or 30%, okay. <laughs> 0.3%. And he, I mean, well, well, well into six figures. I mean, like he's making like at least 500K, I would imagine. Wow. Like he, he gets he gets paid like tens of thousands of dollars to travel and talk about business of optometry. And so he's like, he's this head honcho business guy. Um, okay. And so he's way, way up there. Um, okay. so, I mean, that's always, you know, the, the ceiling of optometry and potential, um, for that. And of course, I'm sure there's people that make more, but that's just me personally that I know, um, average salary nowadays, I think you can expect at least six figures. That's, that's for certain. I think, um, you're cutting yourself short as an optometrist. If you accept anything less of course there are different factors that play into it you know if you work um you know for for the va for example it might be less than a than 100k but you sure. get the full health benefits which is huge you know right, things right. things like that you know pto you don't get you don't have to work weekends no on-call hours and other benefits you have to consider so of course each story is is unique in that sense but I would say as a general rule of thumb, um, this is going to be a pretty big range, but I would say anywhere from about 100 to about 250 would be the general range. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, it, it, you definitely you definitely get paid. That That's for Everyone certain. Everyone go be an optometrist. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, good, good. Okay, next question. Okay, I feel like you touched on it already, but mm-hmm. this person wants to know what brings you the most joy about this job. Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically back to what, you know, I talked about um and and I don't I don't know much about this podcast specifically, so I don't know if there's any religious affiliations of this, but you know, I view myself as a Christian and so I one of the biggest drives for me is that I've always wanted people to see the world as God intended it to be. And so, you know, if, and for, you know, vision specifically, even if it's a small prescription, like for example, I have a really small prescription. I don't really need to wear glasses, but I like to wear it because it just sharpens things up that much. And Mm. so, you know, even if it's like, I, I use the analogy of, would you rather watch, you know, a 1080p or 4k television yes. you know it's, it's a good analogy yeah it's 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 just right to where it's not like you can't enjoy a 1080p but you just appreciate the sharpness and clarity of it of a 4k or nowadays an 8k television you know it's mm-hmm. just that one step higher and it's just especially when you go look you know if you if you're hiking or or whatnot and kind of see like the, the the natural landscapes of, of of the earth like for example i went to denver because i sweat a lot i didn't wear my glasses up the hike but i brought my glasses to put on when i when i wanted to look out and it was it was so gorgeous you know mm. i just this epiphany moment and things like that um and so that is more of like my joy is like i want people to see the way that you know and see the beauties of of everything that you know the earth has to offer in that aspect. And so that gives me the joy. And then there's the other joys that I alluded to before, like people who don't realize, you know, how, first of all, how important your eyes are. Um, if there's, if there's nothing wrong, there's no reason to see, see you. But then as I'm learning, especially with this minority demographic, you know, there's this population, they just, they think they're seeing fine, but in reality, they're not. And so most, um, most cases, a simple glasses fix fixes the problem um a simple glasses prescription and they're you know like i said mind blown especially with the kids as well you know they don't they don't realize what they could see and so that expression that i see initially you know this you see the smile behind the phoropters you just see their teeth and just like lighting up and it, it, it that brings me so much joy yeah. um there is yeah especially like i said with the with with a minority demographic and, and i say that a lot but also there are other you know, Caucasians that also feel this way. But for me personally, as a minority myself, you yes. know, it resonates just a little bit more with me, um, with the minority population. But, you know, they just have such a sense of thankfulness and gratitude yeah. um, with with the things that I do. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, there are exceptions to that, you know, with as there are to anything. Um, but in general, like, they just are so pleased with, you know, with what they're able to see and what they were able to get as a result of, um, you know, having their eye exams done. Um, and I, I get that same thing at, at my ophthalmology co-management too. Like if you look at, if I look at patients pre and post-operative cataracts, like their world is flipped. Like they, because cataracts happen so gradually, they don't realize, you know, what, what has progressed in terms of what they see. And so, yeah, after they get cataract surgery, it's like it dialed back the clock to them like 30, 40 years. And it's just like, whoa. Amazing. So yeah, that, yeah. Um, I mean, I love that 
first part that you said about just yeah your desire to help people see uh the world as god has in, has intended it to look like and i mm-hmm. um <laughs> that makes me want to cry <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that's so yeah. that's exactly what you're doing jason i think it's Thank so you. cool so cool um okay okay one more question okay um I think this is a high school that asked this, but (laughs) um, they said, they said, um, they asked, um, is my mom right in saying my eyes are going to get worse if I sit too close to the computer or TV? (laughs) That, that is actually a very, very controversial question. Oh, is it? Even in the optometry world, it is, it is actually a very, very controversial question. So growing up, or not say growing up, when I went through optometry school, um, Ohio State as a whole, um, they actually do not believe that. Um, they actually do not believe that, ne- they say near work causes the progression of nearsightedness. The scientific term is called myopia. Um, that's okay. just, it's synonymous with nearsightedness. So they say near work is does not cause myopia or nearsightedness. And so they're looking at other things that may cause it. And so one of the things that they're finding right now, and there's no answer to it right now, but they do think it, it is some sort of hormonal level that that's causing um, a nearsighted shift. Um, because if you look at the world right now, the world is actually becoming a lot more nearsighted and they're trying to figure out why. And so, so it's they just, not like phones. That's not the reason. <laughs> again, again, controversial. Like I, I personally, this is just my personal opinion. Okay. okay. Um, and if any of my colleagues, I don't know how they feel, but you know, I personally believe that it, it does make it worse. Mm. Um, especially at such a young age, just because with the shift of, of nearsightedness. So right now, like probably about 15, 20 years ago, about 30% of the population was nearsighted. If you look at it in the next 10, 15 years, it's going to be closer to 50%. Um, and so it's it's a huge shift. And in my opinion, I it's hard for me to swallow that with the rise of the digital age, that the rise of, of nearsightedness doesn't come with it. And that right. not, that's not a causation okay. of it. Um, Ohio State believe that it's it's correlative, but not causative. So uh, there's a correlation of it, but it's not the reason why. Um, they believe it has something to do with outdoors. Um, there's something about the sun's rays that the eyes are not receiving signal-wise. They, again, they think it's some sort of hormonal aspect of it that's causing the eyes to continually grow, essentially. Basically, the more your eyes grow, um, the more nearsighted you become. And so huh. they're trying to figure out what is causing the signal to make the eye grow. And so that's that's the million dollar question that the, really the whole world is in the world of eyes are, are trying to figure out is what's causing these signals for the eyes to grow um, and how do we stop it? And so there are, you know, certain things that that we can do even right now to this day that we can use to slow down the progression of nearsightedness. Um, we might not know exact the exact science behind it, but looking at really specific studies and case reports of 
of these methods of slowing down nearsightedness, it, it does indeed actually work. Um, one of these things are called, um, there's something called orthokeratology, for example, okay. that's essentially just retainers for your eyes. And so you think like teeth retainers, you just put them in and then throughout the day you take them out. It's the same thing with your eyes. What you do is you put in these eye retainers essentially. And so you put them in and then when you wake up, you kind of take them out. And so it slows down the progression because of the way that light is being projected into your <gasps> eyes and things like that. There so are it's con- like a, almost like a lens then? A re- Essentially, is- yeah. It's like a retainer <sighs> lens where you put them in at night, but then you take them out and throughout your day, it, it kind of clears up. What? And that is something that can be done for um, what we call myopia control or nearsighted control to stop the progression or slow the progression of it. Um, there's that, there's um, what we call bifocal contact lenses that we put in children, um, where, you know, the bifocals where you think of, you know, have the lines at the bottom half of the glasses to help you read. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. There's there's that in contact lenses that are put into children um, to help slow the progression. Um, and I won't get into the nitty gritty sciences of it, but that that's okay. an option. And then there's another eye drop that you can put in called atropine, which is a, it's a very dilute diluted dilating drop essentially and that also helps slow down the progression of it um yeah and it's a really really up and coming you know type of treatment and management that not many people know about just because you know it's it's so new but it is definitely really prevalent like it's to the point where if you know I have future kids for example you know I would if they were on that trajectory of being really nearsighted, I would probably start them on, on some sort of myopia control treatment, such as um, my personal choice would be atropine, but such as eye drops. Um, but there, of course, there are other methods of doing it. And again, right now, Ohio State is figuring out, and among other schools and programs and research um, programs, they're trying to figure out the why behind it. Um, mm. But it definitely is proven that it does work indeed. That That is a given fact. Interesting. Wow. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, all this time, I thought for sure it makes things worse. You know, I have my own kids too. Yeah. Now, and I'm like, yeah. Eli, don't sit so close to the TV. Like, you know, but yeah. then, um, you know, I have really bad eyesight. David has 2020, my husband. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I'm starting to realize, like, oh, like maybe it. I mean, I mean this might be a conversation for another day, but <laughs> like, it, it is a lot to do. Is it, does it have a lot to do with heredity too? Like genes? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay. That that's probably the number one risk okay. factor for it. So, I mean, I guess I guess your child has a fifty-fifty shot with ah. with yourself and David. <laughs> um, but it is, yeah, it is important to get. Um, how old is how old is your kid again? He's four. Four. Okay. So he should probably have an eye exam again, because he doesn't really know my recommendation, um, for him would, would to be, you know, get, get his eyes checked, get a baseline. You typically do it as early as, as 10 to 12 months. Um, really? When, yeah, you can, but I would say two years is when you should get a baseline I see. just because you never know. I mean, there, there are always things that, that you can do. And again, he's only four. He's not going to complain about anything. Um, but it's always good to at least get a baseline check. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> that would <laughs> no, be my I, recommendation. Yes, but I um, will. I will. Yeah, and so the peak age of 
of where how your eye grows and becoming nearsighted is about seven to 12 years old. And so um, just as your body grows, so do your eyes. And like mm. I had mentioned, your, as your eye grows, you become a little bit more nearsighted. Um, so you actually want to be on average a little bit farsighted as, as a child. Um, that's actually expected. And you want that so that as your eye grows, you have that cushion to become a little bit more nearsighted or not as nearsighted, I should say. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Sorry. I know that was, th- that last question seemed so simple, but it was a very tricky no it was very like but but um man I had no idea like things were like like that were so controversial in that world yeah yeah absolutely um, I mean it seems like something I'm gonna have to ask you about at a later date because oh yeah absolutely Uh, yeah Yeah. the the other thing sorry the last thing I would say yeah yeah just because like through Ohio State like at the very least get a lot of sun time like for kids because because they because through the research they know that something about the sun is slowing it down because they think it's a lack of sunlight that's causing the progression of okay my, so of that kind of yeah. makes sense to me though because like yeah. you know with the increase of screens and stuff more reasons to, like we can stay, stay in indoors. more and exactly. things like that that makes sense and that's the route that optomic that Ohio State is thinking that it's more of the sunlight not the screen time interesting yeah yeah and so <gasps> so it's correlated kind of it but not cause mm-hmm. I see I see yep 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 yeah so just to hash it all out just go outside a lot more oh, I guess that makes sense. yeah <laughs> And reduce screen time too, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Hey, man. Well, I, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I feel like for me, this has been a really fascinating conversation, oh, and thank I you. could yeah. probably talk about it more. But before we um, end our time together, Jason, I, I usually ask people um, for some advice. You know, do you have any advice for somebody that's maybe thinking about going into optometry or? Um, this kind of uh, practice or any life advice at all? Yeah, life advice, you know, <laughs> go go with your guts. You know, it, mm-hmm. it tells you a lot. Um, you know, like I said, I don't have a strong inclination towards science, but I knew that this is something that I wanted to do. And so, um, and, you know, I can tell you from personal experience, like back from eight, nine years ago when I was a senior in high school, you know, it, it's a tough journey. Again, like I said, being a doctor of any kind, and especially as an Asian American, a second generation Asian American, where your expectations are kind of like that. Um, and, and if that's not your calling, be confident in it. Um, of course, there's going to be a lot of friction that can kind of happen between you and your parents initially. But in the end, they are your parents, and they will absolutely support you in what you do. And I can say that 100% with confidence, you know, I had you know, one of my best friends, for example, you know, of course, as a traditional Asian American, they may have wanted him to be a doctor, but now he's doing full-time comedy and he's living the life in California, you know, he's just, it's, it's so incredible, like, to see that aspect, and that's quick side note, it's just like so much respect for that, you know, to be able to, you know, go not against your parents, but really just really choose your own path and know that that's what you want to do and persevere. Mm. Um, Developing that perseverance is huge because you're going to get a lot of pushback. But once you do, I I don't think he regrets it. I certainly don't regret my decision. And I don't think, you know, whoever's listening, you will either. Well, thank you for that advice. Um, I think, 
you know, it's important for people to be challenged, I think, in a, in a time where it's so easily to, easy to be influenced by the people you're surrounded by, especially your parents. So um, really sound advice, Dr. Jason Rowe. Thank you very much. Thank you for having <laughs> me. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, oh, I really appreciate you. Um, Jason, would you be cool with if anyone had any maybe um, questions uh, more about optometry or your line of work, would you be okay with them contacting you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Shoot me a text, email, um, whatever, whatever is easy. Instagram. Awesome. Whatever. Well, you guys, I will do my best to get you connected if you have any questions. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, please feel free to reach out. You can DM me through social media or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Thanks again, Dr. Jason. Until next time, guys. Bye.